0: The Centers of Medicare and Medicaid Service Providers are rating systems to evaluate health and drug services for the benefit of patients. Called the STARS rating, these measures have enabled patients enrolled in Medicare Advantage and prescription drug plans to make informed care decisions. And on the next two episodes, we'll examine the CMS STARS mortality rating in detail. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient. And joining me for this discussion is Linda Weissman and Rachel Mack. Linda and Rachel, welcome back to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, Linda, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizient. Well,
1: Tom, I'm a Senior Consulting Director with Vizient. I'm a registered nurse by background with ER trauma and critical care experience. I've spent the last 13 years in clinical documentation and provide education surrounding documentation for CDI teams, providers, and coding, which includes risk adjustment education as well.
0: Thank you. And how about you, Rachel?
1: Yeah, Tom. So
2: I am a consulting director for CDI here at Vizient. I actually report to Linda, so I am super excited we are on this podcast together. I am also a registered nurse by background. My experience is in CBICU and ICU. I've been in CDI since 2012, done a little bit of everything in CDI and have been with Vizient since 2020. And we go around the country improving CDI programs and CDI process.
0: Thank you so much. So let's level set here. What exactly are the CMS star ratings and how many measures are there and how are they categorized?
1: The 2023 overall star rating selects 47 of the more than 100 measures CMS publicly reports on. They report on care compare and divides them into five measure groups. Those are mortality, safety of care, readmission, patient experience, and timely and effective care.
0: So for the purposes of this particular episode, let's concentrate on mortality, which you both know is an area of a lot of interest to me. So what are the specific qualifications for this metric?
1: The CMS-STARS mortality condition categories are for Medicare patients 65 years and older. They have to be enrolled in a Medicare fee-for-service part A and B for the 12 months prior to the date of admission and not transferred from another acute care facility. The only caveat being with cabbage. The only procedural category which specifies if a patient has a cabbage at a hospital A and is transferred to hospital B and then expires. The mortality is charged to the transferring facility as they are the hospital that performed the procedure and not the receiving facility. In all of the other measures, it's the receiving facility that will be accredited to that mortality for that condition category.
0: And I think interesting to most other national quality scores, what's the measure time? The metric is measured over what time period?
2: I'll take this one. This is, and I believe, Linda, please correct me if I'm wrong, this is a 30-day standardized mortality measure.
0: That is correct. And then I believe there's also, it's a rolling metric over five years? That is correct. So I think that's actually important for many of our members to realize that even though you may be doing quality work now and having some improvement, it's going to take at least five years to start seeing a change in the metric itself.
1: Yes, it's certainly not going to happen overnight.
0: Are there anything that excludes you from the mortality metric? How about placing a patient in hospice?
1: Placing a patient in hospice care does exclude that mortality from the condition category. So yes, hospice would be an exclusion category.
0: So what are the mortality conditions categories?
1: The mortality condition categories contain AMI, congestive heart failure, stroke, COPD, and the procedural category of cabbage Pneumonia is also a mortality condition category, but it has been excluded for the years of 2022 and 2023 due to COVID.
0: When do you think it's going to be reinstated?
1: I'm guessing, Tom, and this is pure speculation that it will be back and full force in 2024.
0: So Linda, Rachel, you hit on what was included in the mortality criteria, but I think it's important to be some clarity in what's excluded.
1: Well, I think Rachel and I can share this question, Tom. Exclusion criteria includes inconsistent or unreliable demographic information, which includes age and gender, discharged against medical advice, enrolled in a Medicare hospice program, and a patient discharged alive on the day of admission or the following calendar day. And Rachel, do you want to elaborate on any of this for us? I do. Mine gets in a little bit more in the weeds, Linda, so sorry about that. So for AMI,
2: and many of the coder and CDI specialists listening on the call absolutely know this, AMI is a little bit interesting. You can end up in an M-I-D-R-G without an M-I being your principal diagnosis, which is just a little bit weird. So let's say you've got a patient who comes in and they are in atrial fibrillation, and we do a lot of care for that. They seem to be doing well. And then on hospital day two or three, they start getting chest pain, their troponin levels rise. And let's say they get diagnosed with either a non-STEMI, a STEMI, or a type 2 MI. Even if those diagnoses are documented or queried for and they are final coded as not POA due to our very specific coding guidelines, that case will go to an MIDRG. So I think it's super important for our listeners to know those particular cases, those don't count in the AMI CMS STARS cohort inclusions your principal diagnosis must be a non-STEMI or a STEMI in order to fall into the CMS STARS bucket for this measure. And then Tom and Linda, I have a little bit more about heart failure and COPD as well. Please. So some interesting exclusions for our heart failure CMS STARS cohort is if the patient has a heart transplant within 12 months prior or has a heart transplant this particular admission. These are also excluded. The other thing is if a patient has an insertion of an implantable short-term biventricular external heart assist system, either within 12 months prior to this particular index admission or this admission, they are also excluded from the heart failure measure. These patients represent a clinically distinct group of heart failure patients. And then lastly, for COPD, this isn't necessarily an exclusion. This is just really interesting. So for COPD, the CMS-STARS cohort inclusions and exclusions, this one isn't so much a rule as it is interesting, and a lot of folks just aren't aware of it. If your patient has, let's say, acute respiratory failure or acute on chronic respiratory failure as their principal diagnosis, if they have COPD either with a lower respiratory infection or COPD with an acute exacerbation as a secondary diagnosis and it's POA, that Patient is going to be included in the COPD CMS STARS measure. So, I've seen some places previously kind of try and game the system or get patients out of that by putting that acute respiratory failure as their principal diagnosis. But even if they have COPD exacerbation as a secondary, that patient's going to fall into that measure.
0: Linda, you and I have worked at several locations where members actually struggle, particularly with heart failure patients. We've approached certain areas where there was an issue specifically with non compliance among patients. Do you have any feedback on that? I do,
1: especially with our heart failure population, if a patient also has end-stage renal disease and they're on dialysis, let's say the patient is then admitted for noncompliance to their dialysis based on missing a couple of their treatments, they're in fluid overload, the provider clearly documents that the patient is admitted with fluid overload due to dialysis noncompliance. The problem with that documentation is, and it's great documentation, don't get me wrong, but if they do not include the phrase non cardiogenic edema, it will still code to the combination code of hypertensive heart with chronic kidney disease and CHF, which rolls you right up into that DRG of congestive heart failure. So that documentation of non-cardiogenic edema is essential to keep that patient out of being a readmission for heart failure.
0: Some feedback that you and I have also received is where the patient has a history of heart failure, but didn't exactly die from heart failure, it was from another cause. Can you comment to that?
1: Yes, that again is basically that we have to monitor the clinical conditions and the clinical criteria in the record and make sure that we are coding those charts to the correct principal diagnosis. If there are more than one diagnosis that meet the definition of principal diagnosis and we're equally treating those conditions, any of those can be sequenced as our principal diagnosis. A lot of coding teams will look at that relative weight and want to get the largest reimbursement, which is part of their job, but not understanding that we're going to be penalized on the back end and that money is going to be removed from the hospital. So we really need to be cognitive of what is documented in the record and what meets the definition of principal diagnosis.
0: You know, this hits on an area that we've spoken on several times in the podcast of the importance of coding, CDI, having a dotted line to quality, because they may actually be conflicted. That's correct. They could. We have to understand that our coders are not clinical by
1: background. So to them, they're following the coding guidelines that they have in place. And it's up to our clinical documentation and our providers and our nursing staff to all make sure our documentation is clear and correct.
0: Linda and Rachel, great discussion, and we'll continue our discussion on the next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Rachel and Linda at their email addresses in the resource section of our podcast page. And if you have any questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me on our email, modernpracticepodcast at VizientInc.com. We've posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other modern practice podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.